0: Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Joined for our weekly Penn State chat by Seth Engel of the Post-Gazette and the Daily Collegian. After a, a Penn State defeat that has resonated far and wide against Michigan on Saturday at Beaver Stadium, it ended up costing Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator, his job. Um, it, it sparked a lot of rancor and Happy Valley boos for James Franklin, coming off the field. So a lot to talk about with Seth today. Um, Seth, first of all, how are you?
1: Doing well. Yeah, I was looking forward to Sunday being a little bit of a break uh, because, I mean, Michigan coverage is um, pretty demanding. So Sunday, you know, I was, I was looking forward to just laying down and, and uh, you know, not having anything too pressing on my plate. Um, that changed um, just around midday. Um, Mike Yirchich fired, as as you mentioned, um, but you know it, it's exciting in a week that wasn't supposed to be very exciting with Ruck, with Rutgers coming up. Um, we got some we got some news to
0: discuss. Yeah, we got a lot to discuss. We're going to talk about the firing itself, what it means for James Franklin, also what it could mean for Drew Aller. I think there's lots of possibilities, um, you know, in this transfer portal era um, that we got to work through here. But before we do, just a reminder. That our sponsor for every episode of this podcast this season is Voodoo Brewery and State College. Just in time for the change in weather, the crew at VBC and State College, located right off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, has launched their new seasonally inspired line of cocktails, including the crowd favorite hot spiked apple cider. And that's not all. Since October 13th, the State, College's, State College Pub's new kitchen has been open. It is owned and operated by, by Voodoo Brewing Company and will feature the elevated pub fair made famous at their other Voodoo Brewing locations, They will also continue to offer items like the lobster roll and crab cake sandwich that have become synonymous with the state college pub. So make sure you check them out. Uh, Thank them as always for sponsoring our weekly podcasts and chats here in our post-game videos. Seth, um, I guess the the first question I have for you is we talked about Mike Yursich's future last week. and, And I think I asked you rather pointedly, you know, could he be on the hot seat at the end of the season? You had a level of confidence that because of that relationship with Drew Aller, that no, and given his success last season, guiding the team to the Rose Bowl, the explosiveness that we saw toward the end, um, that, that you did not think that this move would be coming at the end of the season, much less, you know, with two games remaining. What was your level of surprise uh, about the decision James Franklin made to move on from Mike Yurcich?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was a little surprised because like you said, I mean, we talked about it, um, you know, a few weeks ago um, where we said, you know, how much of this is Mike Yurcich's fault? um, you know, what are the positives? Like, obviously they're scoring a lot of points, but then you look at some of the other stats and, and they weren't being so explosive and they weren't doing nearly enough to, to beat Ohio state or Michigan. Um, and I just think that was the final straw was that Michigan game. Um, and you know, I agree with it from, from a standpoint that's, um, okay, let's move on. You're seeing a bunch of these firings right now. Um, especially head coach it is a terrible time if you're in need of a head coach. Um, but, you know, there are tons of people hitting the open market and this just gives you a head start, um, especially for a coach who's maybe on a team that isn't headed to a bowl game um, to potentially lure them away um, and get your guy before you go to your own bowl game, maybe similar to uh, Manny Diaz a few years ago. Um, so I think the timing was right. Um, and I think a change was necessary. Um, but. You know, like you said, you know, having, you know, Drew and Mike Yersuch go back, go back deep. Um, so for him to kind of lose his offensive coordinator and his guy for the past five years, you know, that's that's a little troubling to me.
0: Yeah, I want to dig into that more. Uh, but first, Seth, I, I think one question I wanted to hit on was, do you think this is more about the big games and, and the performances against Ohio State and Michigan, um, not just this season, but last season? Or is it more about what we've been talking about every week, which was, the lack of explosiveness, even against you know opponents that Penn State was able to beat rather comfortably, cover against, exceed expectations. Um, this this off, for me, this offense never really has kicked into gear, and it wasn't just a matter of not being good enough to beat those two teams. I think you saw the groundwork being laid for this. Um, you know, in, in the early weeks of the season, when when how long did we talk about you know Nick Singleton and Catron Allen not being able to get twenty yard runs when we know you know what they are as as athletes and, and running backs. Um, is, is, is this for you the progression of a season-long trend or was it just a reaction to Michigan?
1: I mean, it had to be season-long because even, even in the games that weren't Ohio State or Michigan, they still were one of the least explosive teams in the country, um, which is really impressive considering how many points they were scoring, um, which does say a lot about this defense and putting the offense in a position at around midfield um, to score. Um, but only midfield. You know, this was a team that struggled to play the whole length of the field um, and create explosive plays, whether it was in the air or the ground. You, you mentioned Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. Um, funny because Katron Allen, it took him until this week, this past weekend, to finally break out one of those 20-yard rushes that we have talked about every single week. Um, Nick Singleton did it a couple weeks ago. Um, but, I mean, this offense is – it's been a mess. Um, I think the only difference between now and like week two or three, when we were questioning some things, um, is basically the fact that nothing's changed. You know, there was hope then. There was hope that something was going to figure itself out. Okay, these guys are going to become more acclimated with the system. They're going to grow more comfortable with Aller. And it just hasn't been the case. Um, And I really do think that starts at the top. Um, You know, maybe it starts with James Franklin, but it especially started with, with Mike Yersuch, especially in terms of, of calling the plays.
0: What does this mean for, for Drew Aller, Seth? I mean, there was that pre existing relationship that I think you and I both thought would, would at least get such another year. Um, do you read this as an indictment of, of Drew Aller by James Franklin that he's willing to move on from this, this guy that Drew Aller had a great relationship with and say, Hey, you know, we'd like you to stay, but, if you go, you know, I'm I'm still willing to make this move because I am not enchanted enough with what I'm seeing. Um, I think back all the way to the preseason when he was praising Jackson Smollett, Bo Prabula. Um, I know they've been praising them in the in the broadcast meetings because every week the brute Bo Prabhuula gets in there, um, you know, the commentators speak effusively about him based on what the coaches have been saying. Um, do you think this is what, what does it mean in, in the context of all of, of those things that have kind of been building up since since the summer? Um, do you think Drew, Drew Aller is going to be a Penn State Nittany Lion come next fall? Yes.
1: Yeah, I do think Drew Aller is going to be with Penn State. Um, I, I could say that pretty confidently. Um, I, you know, I think this was a move that wasn't just done out of the blue. I think this was a move that was done for Drew. This is a guy, I mean, you look at Sean Clifford, um, who maybe didn't have the talent all of those years, but he had, you know, kind of the will and uh, and the passion um, to make something out of really nothing. Um, Drew Aller, it's kind of the opposite with this is a guy who's, who's kind of trying to figure it out, but he does have the size and he has the talent. He he needs he needs a, a coordinator that's going to be able to, you know, bring make the best out of him. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, so I think. Firing Yursich, especially after what Franklin said after the game where he said we have to be able to call the plays that's going to put Drew in a rhythm. Next day, Yursich is fired. I mean, that's telling me like, you know, this this was this was something they had probably thought about doing for a while. Um, They were just waiting to pull the plug. Um, And I think doing it now is also good in terms of keeping Drew on board um, because it keeps him around the program, settle in a little bit. Um, test the waters in an offense that isn't run by Mike Yersich and also get him involved in the hiring process as much as he can.
0: Do you sense though, Seth, regardless of your confidence about what decision Drew's going to make, that that James Franklin feels pretty good about where he is at quarterback moving forward? Because to me, this is a move that you don't make unless you feel like that quarterback room is a position of strength um, and, and that you could go to these guys if you know, Drew Aller decides to make a, a different decision. I I don't think Mike Yurcich is going to end up in a job that you're going to see Drew Aller like immediately want to go to that program. Um, I think the results in big games are, are going to probably send him to um, you know somewhere else that that's not somewhere I think Drew Aller would would probably want to go. So I I agree with you that I think it's likely Drew Aller would be around. But but do you sense that you have to be in a position of strength with your quarterbacks to make a decision like this if you're James Franklin?
1: Yeah, totally. I, I mean, you look at Drew, and this is a guy who's showing the flashes, right? Um, but it, it's it's hard not to question how good could this guy be if he had some elite receivers on his offense, um, if his running backs could run consistently and find the holes that they should. You know, once you balance out that offense, um, it, it's it should do wonders for you as a quarterback. You know, Sean Clifford last year, Like I said, Chunk Lifford wasn't the most talented quarterback in the world, but their offense was so balanced last year that they were able to find success in it um, and find explosiveness too late in the season. Um, I I think that, you know, if Drew just gets as many weapons as he can around him, um, putting an emphasis on wide receiver, which will have to come in the the transfer portal because they haven't recruited, um, you know, many, many talents at all. Um, and then getting Nick Singleton and Catron Allen up to speed—like I don't know what what happened to them. But um, I mean, Catron's been fine, but Nick is like he's just not finding the holes. But but once you balance out that offense for Drew, I think it's just a completely different story of of what he he's able to accomplish.
0: Well, I didn't think the running game looked bad on Saturday against Michigan. It just felt like Michigan was willing to concede. You know. Letting Penn State move the ball like that, as long as they didn't allow those explosive plays down the field, and, and just kind of kept, um, you know, Penn State under their thumbs. So I think your point about balance is well taken because if if you can if you can take that success with the run, and you know I was just talking with Paul Zeiss about this with the Steelers, because um, the Steelers have had success running the ball lately, and they haven't been able to take advantage of that in the passing game. You use the run to set up the pass, and I feel like both the Steelers and Penn State haven't been able to do that this season and that has been, um, you know, kind of the biggest hurdle. Um, So yeah, I'm curious to see, I want to talk a little bit more about the receivers in a minute Um, right now. I guess my question is you were in the news conference Monday where James Franklin basically said that um, Mike Yursich had gone off script a little bit against, I, I wasn't sure whether it was referring to Michigan specifically or the season more broadly, but he felt that Mike Yurcich was not, calling the game that they had agreed to beforehand. What's your reaction to that? Um, and, and what that says about James Franklin as, you know, he's praised as the CEO of a coach. Maybe he's not deeply involved in play calling, but he knows what's going on, or at least that was the, you know, the myth. But I think he shattered that a little bit. Um, is that a cause for concern for you, Seth? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: Yeah, that was that was interesting. That was more so a follow-up on that quote that he gave um on Saturday uh afternoon um when he said that we need to call the plays to put Drew in a rhythm. Um you know, someone it was I think it was Rich Scarsella from the Reading Eagle asked asked uh James, you know, was was the ability inability to call those plays, those easy plays for Drew, did that go into the decision to fire Yurcich and you know, Franklin said that, you know, like you said, there were uh, there was a discussion where he wanted um, some plays to be called and, and they weren't or they weren't executed. Um, so that's interesting to me because I, Franklin doesn't call plays. And if he wants a a play to be run, I'm confused why he's not giving himself um, an increased role in, in that kind of decision making. Um, this is a guy who's been an offensive coordinator. He's been a quarterback's coach. He's been a wide receiver's coach. And now as a head coach, he's taken a back seat and he's unhappy with the calls that his offensive coordinator running. So why aren't you running the plays yourself instead of firing a fifth coordinator now? Um, it's just a little confusing to me. But I mean, that was my kind of first thought on 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 that.
0: Yeah, or at least, you know, your season's on the line and, and if you feel that way at halftime, like I, I didn't see Penn State doing anything dramatically different in the second half compared to the first. You know, why aren't you why aren't you saying like, at least I'm calling the plays for the rest of the game and we'll see how this right. goes? Um, you know, but but you know, maybe he doesn't want to open himself up to that criticism that people are already hammer him about of not being a great game day coach. Um and, and he's handling, you know, the whole team. Um, I guess that's probably a pretty difficult mid you know, midstream adjustment to make, but yeah, I I just given his reputation as, as the CEO, I I found that pretty interesting. Seth, we talked a little bit about the receivers. Um, what's your sense of, of how big a part of the problem they are? Um, you mentioned that, that James Franklin's complaint was that they weren't getting schemed open, which, which seemed to imply that, that it was on the coordinator. Um, do you, do you think that that's the case? Do you think this group needs to be better? Um, can it be better with the, with the guys that they have in house right now? And then I'll ask you about, you know, the transfer portal after this.
1: It's a problem, like as it's been the whole year, but I, I think it's improved. You know, Keandre has been good, but I don't think Keandre, um is really a number one receiver. Like I think when you look at the top teams in college football, you know, I don't think that he would be the top receiver on any of those top 10 teams um, going out of limb and, uh, and saying that, but, and Dante Cephas, you know, only started to kind of impress, you know, two weeks ago. Um, you know, he's been a bit of a disappointment. And, you know, as Franklin has repeated every week since the summer, you know, that number three guy has not been able to step up, which really is the number two guy um, since Harrison Wallace has been out. You know, it's been a disappointment and uh, and we've talked about it too. Like this goes deeper into something else, which is probably recruiting and, um and kind of that carousel of bringing in new position coaches um and and you know their lack of of ability to bring in those you know high four and and five star talents um especially in state like Marvin Harrison Jr who have gone elsewhere
0: Given how, you know, we're, we're having this conversation about they have to get better at receiver, I remember I was on someone else's podcast late last season, and and that was the first thing I wanted to talk about was who were the weapons that the Drew Allis was gonna throw to? I think that was quickly identified as as an issue already. They go out, they get Malik McLean, they get Dante Cephas. That doesn't work out. Um, what's your level of confidence that this can be addressed in one offseason um via the transfer portal when you've kind of already shown um, some failure in, in that regard? Or is, or is this maybe a matter of uh, an offensive coordinator who might be able to bring some some recruits with him who, who could maybe, um, you know, back out and, and, and go to a different school and follow the guy that, that recruited them at their previous school?
1: Yeah, the transfer portal is going to have to be everything. You know, I think Keandre could return for another year because um, I believe he does have one more year of eligibility. Um, I think it would be smart for him to take that. Um, but going out in the transfer portal and potentially getting a guy who could produce at the same level, if not at a higher level than, than Keandre, I think would be, you know, essential. You know, it will be essential, uh, especially um, considering the stakes next year um, and the 12-team playoff and an expanded conference. You know, that's, a, that's an important year that I think you want to show the rest of the country – that you're able to compete with the best of the best. And, and Penn State, you know, if they do stack um, those pieces on offense, I think they do have a chance to, you know, solidify themselves as, as a potentially elite program when they're not facing Ohio State and Michigan in the same season.
0: Seth, I think you bring up a, a good point. What is the bar now for James Franklin in terms of what he has to do to, to maintain faith? Um, you know, because you're going into this 12 team era, you're, you're not play, playing Ohio State and Michigan every year. Uh, I think you only have Ohio State next season. The next biggest opponent I think you have is USC, which if I'm Penn State right now, I'm, I'm kind of liking, you know, that that matchup. As bad as Penn State's looked in big games, I think USC's looked even worse. I think you can make a case that there's a reasonable path to 11-1 and if you can go out and get a Mitchell Tinsley type. I don't, you know I'm, we're not even talking about go go get a Marvin Harrison. I think that's impossible to kind of get in the transfer portal. I think that's a ridiculous expectation to set. But they did get Mitchell Tinsley in the in the transfer portal. Um, if they can go get a guy like that, what is the bar for you of of what James Franklin has to do in the next two years to justify, you know, maybe another lengthy extension like he's he's received in the past?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be hard, right? Because there are just a number of of opponents who are being added into this pool now for Penn State. Um, but to find a guy like Tinsley, I feel like shouldn't be too hard. When you have this this many staffers, um, this many guys who are able to scout and know programs and know guys personally, you know, it is a little surprising they weren't able to do it this offseason. Um, but it shouldn't be too hard to find a guy who's just serviceable um, and good and able to, you know, give you five or six receptions on a given day um, and maybe get close to a hundred yards receiving, you know, not necessarily asking for him to be the number one guy, but a guy who's able to get open, um, for your young developing quarterback. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think that Penn state has potential to do some damage. I don't know if 11 and one is attainable, um, with, with the teams that are coming in. Um, I know a lot of them, you know, are potentially losing, you know, their top quarterbacks, um, which is, um, Maybe exciting for Penn State, but these are still relatively well defined programs that are going to be on that schedule.
0: I think if you're Penn State, Seth, you've got to make the playoff the next two years, first of all. And I think you've got to win at least one playoff game, Um, whether you're on the road, whether you're at home. um, You got to at least get to that final eight round once. I, I think people will be, there will certainly be people that are upset if they don't get to that final four because that's really you know the the promised land that penn state's been trying to get to all this time so why should that change just because the format is um but I, I think you need to see him win the big games to get into the playoff and then win a big, one playoff game i think would give people confidence that hey if you're playing teams that aren't high state in michigan every year that are you know purportedly some of the best in the country and you can beat them and match up better with them um i think it, it would be enough for an extension but um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. Are there any names you're looking at, Seth, for um, who should fill this position moving forward? Is there, is there anyone in your mind? I've seen people talk about Joe Brady. I've seen Joe Moorhead, you know, come back as, as a an option for a lot of people um, just because of the success both of those guys had on that 2016 staff. Or do you look at, you know, this this opportunity to go out and get someone as, hey, let's turn the page, let's do something new. Um, let's let's stop trying to live for for 2016.
1: Yeah, I think first things first when you're looking at potential candidates is you got to look at the timeline for the hiring. Um, and that process is going to be from now until probably just about when the bowl game starts. You know, I think they will have made their decision within that window. Um, so that already rules out some names. You know, Joe Brady's a guy I think Penn State would love to bring in. Um, I think fans would love it, too, because he was a grad assistant. He's worked with Franklin. He's had success at the college level. and. You know, he's in the NFL right now, um, but he's the interim offensive coordinator with the Bills. You know, so he has a job. He has a good job um, and he has the opportunity to show, you know, probably, you know, now a second chance as an offensive coordinator at the NFL level. And I don't think he's really going to be available um, to potentially pry away, you know, until that regular season is over. Um, So I would rule him out. You know, Joe Moorhead's a guy who you mentioned had success at Penn State, Um, but you kind of look at at him as a guy that, you know, maybe his success was more based on the fact that they had, you know, Saquon Barkley, Mike Kosicki, Chris Godwin, and and Trace McSorley um, at the core of those 2016-2017 teams. Um, You know, he he does know Pac-12 defenses, having been the OC at Oregon. I think that's valuable. Um, And also, you know, has experience as a head coach, both with Mississippi State and Akron. Um, so he's a name to keep an eye on, but you know, I still don't know about, about a reunion. Um, the one name that stands out most to me is, is Sean Lewis with Colorado right now. He was the, the, uh, head coach at Kent state for five years. Um, when you look at kind of what Penn state likes in their coordinators, they like a guy if possible with head coaching experience. Um, they like a guy who, you know, maybe knows their opponents as well. And, and, you know, at Colorado now, you know um, Lewis has has played some of the teams that that Penn State is going to face next year. Um, you know, he was actually demoted by Deion Sanders two weeks ago or or this past week. Um, so I I wouldn't be too surprised if he wants out of Boulder right now, um, and I would absolutely give him a call if I'm James Franklin.
0: Going to be interesting to to see that play out. Do you think any either of the interims are going to get any kind of serious look here? Um, I know Cider's pr- pretty fave or pretty popular within that building. Do you think there's any chance that if, if Penn State shows out in these last two games plus the bowl game that that he could get a crack at this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Cider is definitely a candidate. Um, he's been around the program for six years. You know, he knows it better than anyone other than maybe Terry Smith and James Franklin. Um, so I think yeah, you give him a shot, you let him go through the process. Um, but I don't, I just don't see it being that likely. Um, I think that there, that Sean Lewis would be a better candidate. Um, I think Brady would be a better candidate. Um, I think that Penn state has, um, the resources to go out and hire someone of a Manny Diaz quality, but on the offensive side of the ball.
0: Um, and I don't think Pat Kraft is really too shy to throw that money around. Yeah, going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Seth, do you look at this game against Rutgers as a potential letdown spot for this team? Um, Rutgers has been has played some pretty good teams tough. Um, they have six wins already. They're going to a bowl game. I think Greg Shion is doing some solid work there. I mean, in this Big Ten, how how far down the list is Rutgers really right now? Um, Iowa's I was there. I think this might be one of the tougher, tougher games on Penn State's schedule. I don't think we expected that, but – um, I, I think this is a team that if you don't take them seriously, they could cause some problems. Yeah, Shiano's definitely done a good job
1: there. and To get Rutgers back into bowl eligibility and you know win six games at this point, I think is pretty impressive. But um, this, this Penn State team is still pretty good, and they still have a defense, which really hasn't changed at all with the Yursich firing. You know, It's still a Diaz-led unit um, that probably will do the same thing that it's been doing all year. Um, on Saturday. And I just think, you know, with a unit like that, it doesn't give um, any teams let alone Rutgers um, the chance to do much damage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just wonder how much is left in the tank. I wonder how how focused there's, they're going to be knowing that the season is you know functionally over in terms of the playoff and that, that the only thing that you have to dangle now is another new year six bid that I think, you know, you keep seeing the meme on uh, social media of, New Year Six hype, and then they you know lose to you know Michigan and Ohio State. Then they go win a New yeah. Year Six game. It's just a perpetuating cycle. Um, do you think that that means anything to those guys? To, to the distinction between I don't know, going to the Citrus Bowl or the whatever they call the Outback Bowl these days, um, or or going to you know possibly the Peach Bowl, a place Penn State's never been. I think it
1: means more to the program. Like it's something that you could put on James Franklin's resume and say, "Oh, he went to this this many New Year's Six bowls in this many years." Like that's a stat we hear all the time, Um, and it does sound good, and it's an accomplishment because it means that you finished, you know, within or near the top ten in the country. Um, But outside of that, I mean, the players this year, you know, after a Rose Bowl win, the goal was playoff. You know, that's that's what it was. It was playoff or bust, and they you know, didn't execute on that. So you're right. I mean, there's a weird kind of cloud looming over this program, um, which doesn't really know what it's playing for anymore. You know, I think we talked to Theo Johnson today and, and, and the general thought is that they're playing right now to finish on a high note for the leaders who gave their all for the program. That's the bottom line. Um, you know, and I think they're in position to go to near six, but um it's not going to be as sweet as a Rose bowl win uh, because that was a stepping stone. And this is a, this is a letdown.
0: Right. And the Rose bowl is the Rose bowl, Seth. Um, You know, it's, it's, it carries the cachet that like, I don't think the peach bowl does certainly to, you know, Penn state fans, Northern football fans. You know, I think if you ask maybe an sec fan, yeah, that's a, that's a good bowl game to win um, just because of the ties to the region. But, um, and I'm not saying I think Penn state's only going to the peach bowl, the, if Penn State finishes ten and two in the top twelve, the College Football Playoff uh, selection committee will you know determine what bowl game they go to. They could go back to the Fiesta Bowl. They could go. Um, all, I think these are all at large games, right, Seth? Um, except the Orange Bowl has some weird Big Ten SEC tie-ins, um, so it's possible they could end up there. They haven't been there for a while, but I think there's enough SEC teams in front of them that they would be positioned to get that bid instead of Penn State. Um, but it, I, I just don't think that any of those games carry the cachet. We think, think about that cotton bowl a few years ago. Um, what impact did that have for, for Penn State? I think it was one of the like least attended cotton bowls in history because Penn State fans just weren't excited. Um, do you think it's more about, you know, if you get the opponent than the game itself, if, if you get, let's say Alabama, that's one I've seen on a lot of bowl projections. I do our bowl projections every week on postgazette.com, So you can check that out. Um, If they play Alabama and beat Alabama, could that change this conversation that we're having?
1: Yeah, Alabama would be huge. I mean, that would be the first time since I believe 2011 um, that those two teams played. Um, Alabama's a prestigious school. um, You know, one of the greatest programs of all of all time, if not the best. Um, But I think Bama has a shot at the playoffs still. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule them out of that yet. You know, this is a team that's picked up steam over the past couple weeks and definitely has a shot at that SEC championship. Um, if not them, Ole Miss, you know, seems like a relatively likely candidate um, for, for Penn State, maybe in the Peach Bowl, which would also be exciting. You know, Lane Kiffin, um, this is a team that's, you know, kind of grown over the past couple of years, especially under his leadership. Um, will he get some looks at Texas A&M? We'll see. Um, but, you know, Ole Miss and Alabama is the two that I've seen. Um, and then, you know, of course, some people throwing in lane. Uh, which would be similar to like a cotton bowl against Memphis. And I don't think um, if you're uh, if for TV ratings, I don't think you want a, a Penn state two lane matchup.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't think a lot of people do either. I, Oregon was the other one I saw in the fiesta bowl as a potential. Right. I just, I wonder would the, would the playoff committee take into consideration realignment because uh, they're technically not conference opponents. They technically haven't played. I don't think since the 94 Rose bowl. So on paper, you'd look at that and say, man, Penn State-Oregon would be a lot of fun to watch. But on the other, they're about to be conference opponents. Um, so I think it'd be interesting to see how the committee juggles that. But, Seth, uh, that's all we got for today. Um, we're going to see what Penn State does against Rutgers, and we'll be back next week uh, with another discussion of, of where the program is going. Um, and you'll be back after the game on Saturday against Rutgers right here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed. Um, So you don't miss that. Make sure you like this video. If you enjoyed it, help us out with the YouTube algorithm. Um, We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for stopping by, Seth. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.